0: Remember last week we kicked off this teaching series talking about we want to develop the heart of God this year in our church, to love people well in our church, and that last week was all about understanding that God's heart is full of love for you. No matter what your background is, no matter the things that you've done, the thoughts that you've had, the, the mistakes that you've made, that God loves you right where you are. And that is, we open ourselves to receiving that love because of the work of Jesus crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, you can actually experience the spirit of God in your life and to overflow with God's love towards others. And so this week, we're not just going to talk about how to receive God's love. We're going to talk about how to love others well, that God's heart is full of love for you and your heart then becomes full of love for others. Are you ready to study God's word together? Okay, turn to Matthew chapter five, verse 43, verse 43. And don't let me forget this, as you're doing that, uh, we don't do this every week. Can you turn to your neighbor, we do this a few times a year, and just tell him, it's not always like this. Can you do that real quick, the right and the left, just tell him, hey, it's not always like this. It's usually way better, way better than this. Uh, (laughs) We're gonna gonna get into some very real uh, subjects this morning. And here's the thing. We're not just called to be filled with love from God to overflow, to love people that we already love. We're actually called to love people we don't even love. In fact, Jesus tells us that we even should love our enemies. Here's what it says, verse 43 of chapter 5. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. By the way, a few verses earlier, he he actually said that like if they punch you in the face, just turn and give them the other cheek. That was the level of laying your life down that Jesus was referring to when it came to your enemies. Verse 45, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. This morning's message is pretty simple. The main point is that as followers of Jesus, because we've received the love of God, we are then called to love everyone always. Now, Loving people, as we talked about last week, is both the grace and truth of Jesus. It means sometimes we have to speak truth in people's lives, but we are called to love everyone always. And this is really where the rubber meets the road in our faith, because it's not easy. Will you pray with me? Wow, God, just uh, in a culture where a lot of times we don't have time for church, all these people have, have come and packed this place out. We thank you for the ushers finding chairs for everybody as best as possible, and And we just pause, God, in the busyness of this service, and we ask that your Holy Spirit, which we believe is present with us in this space right now, present in the homes of those attending online. God, may you take my words away and whatever your spirit has to share through us through your Holy Scripture, that you would speak to our soul, that we would listen and respond We give you this time. We acknowledge your presence and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. 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 Uh, How many people struggle with loving people? Uh, I told you last week, maybe you're like, my personality is not a naturally loving personality. Well, I want to talk to you about that because sometimes the hardest person to love is actually the person right in front of you. Before we even get to, to enemies, let's just start with like your friends or we'll take it a level for those who are married, your spouse. You know, I thought about this and I've shared this story several times, so I'm gonna share it quickly, but there have been many times in my life where I did not love my spouse well. I remember one time in particular, I was young and a very immature young husband. We saved up for a year to go on our dream honeymoon vacation. We went to Paris, France. It was the middle of February. Have you ever, you probably have, it's freezing, it's freezing cold. And so I planned ahead, because I like to plan ahead, and I uh, bought a very thick, nice, warm hat in the wintertime that I could wear. In Indiana, we call it a sock hat, where in California, my wife's from, they call it a toboggan. I'm like, that's something you sled down. I don't know what that, I don't understand. But we went there. I had this nice hat, and we went to the Louvre, which is this huge underground museum, the most famous museum in France, where the Mona Lisa is kept. It's literally multiple football fields under the ground. And after being there all morning long, we got to the lobby ready to leave. I realized my hat's missing. And so naturally, I turned to my wife and I said, hey, my hat's missing. She said, it's okay. We'll buy another one. See, you didn't seem uh, affected by that at all. She might as well just said, I don't love you. And I don't know if I ever will. Because that hat was very important to me. So here's what I did. I I thought, man, I'm a loving husband, I love Jesus, and I left my wife there in a foreign country in the lobby for the next 45 minutes, walking around, trying to find a hat in multiple football fields in the largest museum in the world, only to come back, and now, not only did I not find my hat, I had an upset spouse for the rest of the day. Who's been there? Come on. Now, you, you don't have to go someplace and have the grandiose story. Sometimes, man, I find it hard. Maybe you find it hard to love your spouse just in the small mundane things. I, you know, I, Occasionally, not always, occasionally I have forgotten to take out the trash. Anybody? See, you don't seem very bothered. Are you guys married? Because <laughs> my house, that's a devastating thing. So You know, and other times, you know, she has forgotten things that were very important to me, said things that offended me very deeply, cut my soul. You know, and it's very easy with the people we love the most to find find it difficult to love them in the hard times when they're driving us nuts. You don't have to be married, right? Like, uh, how many of you are, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, you got roommates, One of the hardest things in my uh, young adult life was loving people who I wasn't uh, legally obligated in marriage to continue to live with, right? Because you know they never did the dishes. You did all of them, and you picked everything up. They never picked anything up, and it's just constantly a big, Jesus says that you are to love everybody, including your roommates and your spouse. How in the world are you ever gonna love your enemies? Like, let's get real for a second. When Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount to the Jewish community, they are living under oppression by the Roman government. There are plenty of people that they do not want to love well. And he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, you know, essentially love your neighbor, but also love your enemy. So how do you actually love Everybody always. And why should we as Christians? I want you to look uh, in our first point this morning. I want to talk about, and this is going to be our longest point. We're going to spend some time on this, about loving our neighbors, all of our neighbors well. Three simple points this morning. If we're going to love everybody always, we have to love all neighbors. And in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, later on, Jesus makes it clear how important this is when somebody asks him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In Deuteronomy and in uh, Old Testament times, they referred to that as the Shema, uh, the most important thing: love the Lord your God. But if you really love God, then you will love others." Verse thirty-nine. And the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. It says, all the Old Testament law and prophets could be summarized in that you are called to love uh, those in your life well because you love God first. Love God first, others second, ourselves third. It requires humility and, and prioritizing in our life in the way that we love. In fact, the entire Bible, if it hangs on this, it means that we have to love all neighbors. And you might ask, well, who is my neighbor, Right? In fact, in Luke chapter 29, a guy challenges Jesus in that same way. And we're going to dive into this passage on January 29th, get into great detail on it. But I wanted to bring it up now. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like I was supposed to love my neighbor. Who, I mean, but not everybody's my neighbor, right? And then Jesus goes into this long story of the good Samaritan. Which to us just, you know, doesn't seem that significant. When we think of the Good Samaritan, we think of like this nonprofit. But the Good Samaritan was somebody who had rejected God and their Jewish cultural background and were considered like the lowest of the lows. They were a different ethnicity that the Jewish people no longer looked upon fondly. And he says, that is your neighbor. And he tells the story of how God uses this person in this parable. It's a story. And so we have to acknowledge that our neighbors are all neighbors, all of humanity. That we are called not just to love people who act like us, think like us, look like us, speak like us, come from the cultural backgrounds that we come from. In fact, we're called to to love and disciple all nations. This is clear throughout the New Testament. Let, Let me read just a few passages on this. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission Like the one thing he asked us to do before he left, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of suburban American towns, right? To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that our mission is to reach everybody, that we're called to love all neighbors well. In fact, when we get to heaven, have you ever thought about what heaven is going to be like? i 'm convinced some of us think we 're going to get there, and we're we 're all going to be uh, singing in English, dressed like you know suburban hipsters and having the same ideas and political backgrounds it 's going to be very interesting to me when people get to heaven, and it doesn 't look like that in fact, Revelation chapter seven verse nine describes heaven like this after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Every tribe, every time, every nation represented there. Now, everyone has to receive the free gift of salvation, believe and receive that Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the grave, covering up our sin and wrongdoing, atoning for our mistakes freeing us from death itself, helping us to live eternally with him, experience his Holy Spirit now. But that's going to be representative of all nations, all people groups. And my question is, I know we know that. Some of you are like, that's some good Bible teaching. Yeah, I'm glad other people know. To each of us in our minds today, when you think of heaven, can you picture it like that? All tribes, all tongues, all nations. You may not realize this. I, I think that the local church is meant to exemplify what heaven potentially could be like, and one of the things I think that bothered Lisa and I the most, coming from Southern California to Indiana uh, twelve years ago almost, was that when we got here to see the the segregation in our in our churches in Indiana. And, and I'm not look. I I love the gospel spreading any way that it can, and some people ch- would choose to worship with you know, like-minded people or people that come from the same cultural background or speak the same language in some cases. But I've always felt, and I think the Bible demonstrates that the local church is meant to be a taste of heaven and that, well, we have a long way to go at Mercy Road. You may not realize that there are people worshiping with us every weekend from all different cultural backgrounds, from all different countries, even continents, some first generation, some just here on leave, who come in with all kinds of different cultural backgrounds that we are called to love well. And if you are here today from another country or in another nation, and you're here worshiping with us or you're attending online, welcome. The family of God, the local church, is meant to to love all people, all nations well. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, they were there worshiping together, and the Holy Spirit was given to them at that moment. And do you realize we missed this part? It immediately at the beginning of the local church in Acts chapter two, God makes a way for it to be spread to all nations. Look with me in Acts chapter two, verse five. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and El- Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. From the very beginning, the local church, and let's remember what's going on here. It's spread, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord in one moment, and the reason they were all there gathered in Jerusalem, worshiping together in the first place was because it was 50 days after the Passover when they would have been celebrating the Festival of Weeks, which is one of the few Old Testament Jewish festivals that they were demonstrating and called to, to, to do. And for generations, they've been calling out to God that he might provide for them in the ways that they needed. And in that moment, he gives them the spirit of God to share it. This is a whole nother sermon with all nations. How cool is that? that he knew that moment in time. He was that serious about this getting spread to to all nations that uh, we are called to reach everybody everywhere, and that includes loving all neighbors. Now, if we're called to reach all nations, that also means within our own context, within our own country in the United States, we are called to reach all cultural backgrounds, all people groups, all ethnicities. There's only one race, the human race, but there are many ethnicities and cultures. And so if, if we are going to do that well, we have to acknowledge out of love the different life experiences that people have had with people who have come from other countries to love them in their, their cultural background, where, where they've come from, that we're not just called to be missionaries to travel overseas. Certainly we're called to do that, but we're called to be missionaries right here in our own community. And there's all kinds of people groups moving to Indianapolis that we could be called to reach right with the gospel in their cultural context. Let's take it a step further. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the day we re- remember that because of the love of God, he transformed a generation, that we can make a difference and make a change. And certainly in the last two and a half years after George Floyd and the number of events that happened before that, that we are called as Christians to love people well and to acknowledge that we bring in different contexts and cultural experiences. And I want to talk about that just for a moment because I want to say this to start off. Anytime I bring something like this up, most Americans immediately move to hearing this in their political ideology, the way, their political context. I'm not making a political uh, argument this morning. I'm not trying to tell you what to do politically. What I'm trying to do, I don't believe that is the role of a pastor. Certainly there are uh, church backgrounds that where politics and faith are very intertwined historically. The Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, others, those are very much a part of their faith. But in the Anabaptist background we come from, uh, the separation of, of faith and politics is an important thing. I believe that my job as a pastor is to preach what the Bible says but I am not called to tell you how to vote or what to think politically. But what we are called to do is to love all neighbors, everybody, everywhere. And if we're going to love, particularly the black community in the United States, well, we have to think about the cultural context that this, our brothers and sisters of people of color have come from. And what I mean by that is this. If you're here, is he believing in critical race theory or not believing in critical race theory? That is not the conversation I'm having. I'm talking about what the Bible says. And the Bible says we're called to love all of our neighbors. And that means this, that we have to acknowledge that there is one people group in our community that were taken hundreds of years ago from a continent, enslaved, owned, brought here, made to live as slaves for hundreds of years, that causes all kinds of generational trauma that could not be rid of in just one generation. And that... By the way, I've told this to the to the our staff, that our people of color for years. I, I don't like putting up someone that is a person of color to preach on Martin Luther King weekend because I believe it's my job as a white person to talk to white people about racism. And and I share that to say uh, I'm not telling you that you are a bad person or having this. I'm trying to say how do we love people well? It, it, you know. Let's take it a step further. Man, he's really getting into some stuff this morning. Let's take it a step further. Some of, uh, I talked to my mentor about this. For some of the Christians that were the generation before me, the the big cultural issue for them was uh, unborn children. Again, I'm not here to tell you what to do politically about that, but I think we would all agree as Christians who have read the Bible that we should protect people. Certainly women, but also unborn kids. And what you believe to do politically about that, I'm going to leave that to you. But I believe as a Christian, I have to fight to protect children. I have to fight to protect people who have come here from another country. And again, theologically, we are called to obey the laws of the land, Romans says, but we're also called to help the hurting and the broken and the lost. And that's the tension that we have to wrestle with as Christians. my mentor would say for many of the older generation of Christians, the number one issue was abortion. And for many of the younger generations, the number one issues are issues of race. And here's what I want to tell you, because you're going to miss the mark and think that this morning's sermon is about something it's not. It's not about immigration. It's not about race itself. It's, it's not even a, about unborn children. What it's about this morning is love. That as followers of Jesus... We are called to love every people group well. You say, well, what does love look like? Good news. God actually defined it for us. First Corinthians chapter 13. You read it at your wedding. It actually didn't have anything to do with romantic love. It's a, talking to the church in Corinth that's fighting with each other. And, and he says this. First Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. So on issues of of, of race, if we're going to love our our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who come from a black background, then we are called as Christians to say we're going to love with patience, with kindness. We're not going to envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. To protect, to trust, to hope. We have to to do that. We actually have to listen to one another and be there for one another. To put God first, others second, and ourselves third. And if we simply did that in our culture, we would see many of these issues that I just brought up. Alleviated and addressed. That when Jesus came to say that you have to, to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and being, love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about the neighbors that are in our lives right now. To, to love people with a different cultural background and to see them the way that God sees them. We can love, by the way, and I don't know when this started, we can love both the black community and love our police officers well. I believe that it's not God that chooses division, but we can't do that in a way where we're not listening to people who are really hurting, and we can't understand their background because we haven't lived it, if you're a white person. You see, the heart of a follower of Jesus, rather than seeing the other person as the enemy, sees them as a creation of God, made in the image of God, and desires to commune and to love them well. And it it means that we in the Christian church will demonstrate to the world how to love all of our neighbors well. In fact, again, if you want to turn that into a a political snippet that you could just simply espouse that I believe that this is true and this is not true, uh, politically speaking, of how we should act on this thing. And you miss the heart of it that we have to love with the heart of Jesus Christ, with the love of God. Remember how Jesus loved? He laid down everything. He didn't care. What would come because his love was for the other person first, not for himself. We are called to do that for people of different ethnicities. And in the case of those in the black community who have endured so much generationally, we are called to live this out to the fullest. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life. You're like, Josh, that was like three sermons in one. I'm a little overwhelmed now. We'll just get ready. It's not over. See, here's the thing. That was just loving your neighbors. Number two. Now now you're supposed to love your enemies? What? Think of the audacity that Jesus had to say this to this people group that had a very clear enemy, the Romans. And he tells them, you're supposed to love your enemies. Well, the zealots, which was one of the key political entities of that day, were waiting for the Messiah to come and fight back and fight back against their oppressors. He he tells them, I am the Messiah. I've been anointed, but we're not going to fight in that way. We're going to love our enemies. Verse 43 again, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy to a friend. That's the power of godly love. (laughs) You ever had one of your kids that like, they kept getting in arguments with some kid and then they end up like a year later being best friends? We can see it in our children sometime. I've seen that happen. And it's amazing when you really get to know somebody and their hurts and pains and, and act with love and compassion towards them, how you could actually end up coming to into a great intimate relationship with the very person you thought was your enemy. But here's the thing. I did want to pause there. And I, I wanted to note this for, for many Christians out there. You're just like, oh, I just I can't do that. They annoy me. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram, whatever. And I'm not a loving person. I want to tell you that uh, God did not make you in a way that you can't love, first of all. And keep in mind, your goal today is also not to just go, oh, I need to love better. I'm going to go try harder. Remember last week that when we encounter the love of Christ, it's his love that overflows. There was a fantastic experiment that happened last weekend, if you missed it, that his love is meant to overflow from our life. So when we're not loving people well in our lives, it's not that we aren't trying hard enough We don't have an obedience problem. We have a Jesus problem. We don't have enough of God in our life that it's naturally overflowing. And I need to look at my spiritual health for a moment. That's why we're praying and fasting for 21 days. God, give us your heart. Help us to hear from you. Help us to live and interact the way that you would desire us to out of an overflow of love. That doesn't mean, though, that even though love has the power to transform an enemy into friend, it doesn't mean that every enemy is going to be your BFF. So, so also don't hear that when you have someone in your life that you adamantly disagree with their life because they're living in sin and they're making really poor choices and their choices sometimes hurt other people, including you, your friends or your family. You don't have to. Loving them does not mean that you don't set up healthy boundaries And speak truth into someone's life. Love is not agreement. Love is love. And loving people well means that you speak grace and truth into somebody's life. You don't have to be best friends, but you'll be amazed when you love people well what it does. Because again, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Let me tell you a story about somebody who really lived this out. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a... German pastor during Nazi Germany, and he rejected the hurtful belief system of the Nazis, and because he spoke out against Nazism, he actually was thrown into a a prison camp, and he would actually end up losing his life there while loving people well right in front of him, having to stand up for his beliefs. In fact, it's not going to be on your screen, but he said this, the person who's in love with their vision of community will destroy community, but the person who loves the people around them will create community everywhere. In other words, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying is our environment doesn't dictate our community. You can have this vision of like, I really want friends and this amazing Christian community and I want all these things, but if you don't love the people around you well, it's probably not gonna happen. But if you love people, everybody always, you will always find community because you're loving people well and they respond to the love of God and their life. He had the audacity to say that while he was actually eventually gonna be imprisoned by the Nazis and having to live that out in the worst place on the planet. I believe that we could still do that today. Number one, we gotta love all neighbors. Two, we gotta love all enemies. But three, we have to pray for those who persecute us. Look what it said again. Pray for those who persecute you. Go to verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? We read that and we think, oh yeah, even the IRS doing that? No, this is, this is way worse than the IRS. You're like, that isn't possible. It, it is possible. These tax collectors were from the Jewish community who had sold out to the Romans to go to people's houses and take money from them and give it to the Romans, they were literally the ones ripping off your mom and your grandma and enabling the oppression of the Roman people. There was no more hated person in the Jewish community than the tax collectors. And he's like, even a tax collectors can love people who love them. As Christians, because of the work of Jesus, we're called to love even those that, that we don't naturally love. Verse 47, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. As we pray and fast for 21 days, at the heart of it is we want to know God more so that he would fill us up with his love to love other people well. If, if the Christian community wasn't known first for their political ideologies, instead was known first for the love for all people groups right where they were at, calling them to both grace and truth, not always agreeing with decisions and choices, but, but enabling the empowerment of the gospel to be spread and the love to be shared with people the way that Christ first loved us, who laid down his life and sacrificed everything for us, people will take notice of that. They have historically taken notice of that. We have examples throughout history, Martin Luther King Jr. being one of them, but other examples of people living out of love for other people groups. I think of the movie End of the Spear, where missionaries went down to South America and were actually killed by the very tribe they were trying to reach. And then the families, the women actually went down there and continued the mission work. And that tribe and community ended up becoming followers of Jesus Christ after they had killed the first missionaries that had been sent in. The power of the gospel is real for transformation and change. I believe that it can change the issues in our culture, the the racism that we're still addressing, the the needs around the world globally, both in, in physical needs and spiritual needs. But we have to pray. We have to pray for all people. In other places, pray continuously. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions of prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Ephesians six eighteen, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is the first step to begin to address these because as it changes us, the overflow of it will begin to change other people. I started this with talking about when I haven't always been a a great husband to my wife or we could argue about little things. And I've learned from my mentor, he used to talk about that inevitably when they would argue him and his wife, he would go away separately and his wife would go away separately and they would pray. And when they came back together, they were often fighting the other side of the argument now because that's what God can do. And, And I think that if we saw that in our communities and we've seen that, we've seen police officers who are saying, I want to love people of color well, who are hurting and listen. And I want to meet that. And we're seeing uh, the people in the black community crossing barriers cult- counterculturally, counter culturally saying, God, we need more of you in our spaces. But it's not going to happen if we just passively go over it, if there's not real issues to address. And the way to address those issues is to listen first and not just tell other people what they should believe and think to listen, to hear, to pray, and intercede on God's behalf, to love people well, because ultimately that's the example that Jesus set for us. Because what I often hear is, well, if we did that, then the outcome of that may not be what I wanted. He may not change the way I need him to change. She may not listen the way I need her to listen. And I would just argue back that Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us knowing that some of us here and many people in our communities that he died for would reject him. That was the depth of the... He got nothing in return. God first, others second, I'm third. It's the life, the way that we live as followers of Jesus. And so as we conclude, I want you to think about the the depth of God's love and the way he's calling you to love other people. That if we really want to get into enemies and we want to say that Christ died for sinners... That means that we're called as followers of Jesus to love everybody—murderers, people who have stolen things, criminals of all kinds, people. And this, this is the hard one for me: people who have have made offensive acts towards children. We're not called to be okay with it. We're not called to allow it. We're not called to, to. We're called to speak truth and to change and set boundaries. But we're still called in the middle of all of that truth. To love everybody so what does that look like in your life today and if you see a lack of love and compassion in your life it's normal we all have it but it's not because of your personality profile or your enneagram status it's because whether or not you've encountered christ and have the the joy of the spirit in your life that's causing you to love people that you wouldn't naturally love and that's what i believe that we're called to do as followers of jesus and so will you pray with me god uh, we come to you, and, and for all those who are Christians here, I invite you to do this with me. God, we, we come to you and we repent. But there are many times we can't even love each other in the church, let alone love our enemies. So we repent of that, God. We invite a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit into our lives. Help us to see one another the way that you see them. God, help us to think about what heaven is going to be like how we're going to be worshiping next to the very people that we may disagree with and have arguments with God may you bring reconciliation where it seems impossible may you bring life transformation where we think no one could ever change and then ultimately God we we pray for ourselves here this morning that maybe you're here this morning and the truth is that you've had things from your background where You were taught to live the way that you live because your mom or dad lived that way or your grandfather or your grandmother lived that way or you saw your aunt or uncle behave that way towards a certain people group or a certain ethnicity. And, And you want to say, God, I want to break the chains of that sin, that generational sin. God, we invite your Holy Spirit in here. We pray that you would break generational chains of sin, trauma, abandonment. We invite your Holy Spirit to heal us, Jesus. And finally, maybe there's somebody here that you want to know this kind of love that Jesus laid down in his life for you, knowing you would reject him. But he still welcomes you with open arms, like the prodigal son returning home. And so if you would like to surrender your life over to Christ, we invite you to do that. Pray this with me. God, I want to know that kind of love, unconditional agape love. And so on this morning, I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And I receive salvation through your work on the cross, Jesus, and resurrection from the grave. I give you everything in my life. We worship you, God, and praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's family said, amen.